Hi friends, welcome to the Brave Enough Podcast. Grab some coffee, sit back or enjoy your drive and let's get authentic, real and into the good stuff. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, and I'm so excited to hang out with you today where we're gonna talk about life and work and all the messy stuff in between. So get ready. In episode 34, Sasha interviews Dr. Monica Verdusco Gutierrez. Now here's your host, Dr. Sasha Shilkut. Welcome everyone to the Brave Enough Show. It's your host, Sasha Shilkut, and I'm super excited to have an amazing guest on today. I am super pumped because we're going to have kind of a potpourri of topics and she's just one of my favorite people. So I'm super excited we get to chat. But before we get into our guest today, I wanted to answer a question. I've been getting a lot of questions about personal coaching and the masterclass and the difference between those two. So I wanted to talk to you all a minute about that. I have two options for coaching on my website. One is coaching with me one-on-one if you have a specific issue or you have a specific challenge or you just kind of need help in a specific area and you want to talk with me a couple times on the phone and get some one-on-one time, we can totally set that up and you can find out about that on becomebraveenough.com. I took probably the most top 10 questions that I get asked on a routine basis and I put them into a curriculum over 12 weeks. And that is the masterclass. So I have about 20 women uh, twice a year in that class. And we talk about everything from work-life balance to having crucial conversations, making an outlist, how to negotiate for yourself, how to really move from doing things that maybe others expect of you to doing the things that really bring you joy and passion, but also how to climb the ladder if that's something you want to do in the workplace. So I have two options for coaching. One is a class online that happens twice a year and one is one-on-one. And I hope that kind of frees up and answer some of the questions that I've been getting on social media. And you can find out about both of those options, which are super fun on becomebraveenough.com. So let's go right to our guest. I have an amazing woman physician today on our show, Dr. Monica Verdusco Gutierrez. And I met her through the internet. You know, all of my best friends anymore, I meet on the internet. (laughs) It sounds like internet dating, but um, I met her and I have just admired her for a long time from afar because she's multifaceted. Um, she's a champion for women and she's really someone who amplifies women's voices who may be unheard. And I've had admiration for her for a long time. And then I had the honor of spending a couple days with her in Florida at a retreat. And I can tell you that she was everything I thought she would be and more. So welcome to the show. And I'm so excited to have you on today, Monica. Thank you. It's my pleasure, too. I love meeting my Internet friends, but it's also hard to tell my children that they can't meet people who they meet on the Internet. (laughs) I know. Do what I do. Don't not what I do what I say, not what I do. Right. Right. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you? What, What do you do for a living? And, you know, how did you get into really encouraging minority women? So I'm in Houston, Texas. I am an associate professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation at the McGovern Medical School at the University of Texas in Houston. And I've been attending here about almost 10 years at this point. And there is one thing I guess that I've noticed is that there are not a lot of people, even in Texas, who are physicians who look like me, who are 
Latina women in medicine. And so that's part of kind of my drive. I am from originally from South Texas in the border region with border and bordering of Mexico and in an area that's majority Hispanic, where there is also there at the time when I was growing up, not a lot of female physicians, just mostly male ones who I looked up to. And there is not that many, there's no physicians in my family otherwise, but this was something that I aspired to be and I was a good student. And so I feel like I can connect with the patient population that's like me and that has similar backgrounds, similar culture, similar beliefs. And I think it's important that we have more Latina physicians that can also be able to connect with their patients in that way. I love that. My why. I love the why. So I I think it's really um, important to, you know, give a little background. I mean, there are only um, 1.8% of physicians in the United States that are Latina. Like that is like less than 2%. So, you know, you, you probably go to work every day and don't have other physicians that of your gender and your ethnicity. And, um, instead of allowing that to really, you know, set you back, which I'm sure you have faced significant bias in your work environment, um, you chose to use that to encourage other Latina medical students and residents and fellows and other women. And I know you speak on it. You give grand rounds, you travel all over the country and you're very well known for this. And I just think that's amazing that, you know, you have taken this on, um, as, as a personal passion. So what kind of, you know, what made you decide like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be the voice for women, Latina physician, women, or those medical students or those graduate students that really want to go into the STEM fields that are Latina. What made you decide to do that? No, some of it is the quote, you can't be what you can't see. So I decided I need to be this person that puts myself out there so that there are other young Latinas that say, oh, she's a doctor. I can be a doctor and just make it be a believable pathway for women, for Latina women. And so it's just kind of put on me or I put on myself. This is something that's important. And so I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go teach. I'm going to go mentor young Latinas you know, at my medical school and anywhere online on Twitter, on the Mi Mentor site, there's an app for that as well. And I just think it's so important that there is someone who believes in them, someone that looks like them, and they know that they can move up. That's amazing. I mean, I have chills right now because I'm sure there's someone listening that thinks, you know, uh, there's, this is too hard because it, it, uh, there's no one else that looks like me, or they don't even have a role model that they can aspire to. And, and so I just think it's awesome that you are that role model in so many ways. Um, and you're out there, which, you know, 
it gets exhausting at times. Do you get tired? Do you get tired being the the voice for the unheard person? Or do you ever think like, why am I doing this? Why don't I just, you know, stay at home and with my family at night and weekends, because I'm sure you're traveling and speaking and I know the toll that that takes. And so how do you kind of, you know, re-energize yourself and keep the passion going? Yeah, there's definitely, you have to balance everything. Like family's important. I have kids that are kind of like, mommy, we need you. But then I have to kind of educate them about the importance of what I'm doing and say, you know, it's so important that mommy gets out there for other people and so that they can see all the amazing things that we can be and we can do. And I just, I look at the numbers and you know, the importance of this culture of inclusion in medicine. And I think that's so important. So it just, it keeps me going. And one, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because I think you and I can identify with each other this way is that we are physicians, we are clinicians, we take care of patients, we have jobs and leadership and executive duties within our organizations. And, but neither of us get, you know, this is not our job, like to help promote gender equity. Um, I need neither you nor I get promoted on that, or we don't get paid to do that. We don't, that that's not why we show up every day to work. Like we do it because we're passionate about it and we both pour into it and we speak and we travel and we do these things, but it's really not our job. And in, in, and even to go a step further, there's a lot of studies that show that when women start speaking up on behalf of other women, it can have a negative feedback and negative pushback versus when a man does it, it's actually very positive and you're seen in the workplace as being more collaborative. But when women, you know, go and speak on gender equity issues, um, it can have significant negative backlash on our careers. Um, and I know I have gone through times myself where I'm like, you know, it would just be a lot easier for me if I stuck to echocardiography, <laughs> right? Like if I didn't write on gender, if I didn't talk about gender, um, my career would be a lot more comfortable. So I, I mean, can you identify with that? Like, how do you deal with that? Cause I know I struggle sometimes with it. It's tough because, you know, I am a good workhorse. I can work really hard, see lots of patients, they like me, you know, get a lot of REUs, do a lot of procedures for spasticity. And that's, you know, my important day job and brain taking care of brain injury patients. And so, and you're right, there is no magic grant that's going to protect my time and allow me to study gender equity or diversity or wellness or any of these things that are important to me and all kind of go together. Right. But it's just something I'm willing to, you know, the time that I do have, I'm willing to put my efforts on because it's something that's so important to forward our field and to forward medicine. And it's going to help patients in the end, you know, if we have a more diverse workforce. Yes. But, yes. So. And don't you find that that's why you need a tribe of, you know, you need a couple, a few women that are doing similar work to lean on because sometimes I just get tired of doing this work. And I just say, I'm really tired right now. I need to like take a step back and not fight the good fight because it is a fight. You know, when you're mm -hmm. constantly having to educate people on the, on the data, um, 
and find different creative ways to build bridges with others and, and really promote women in the workplace, it can get really exhausting. And so that's why I just value your friendship so much. And I've learned that it's okay actually to take a little backseat every now and then and let the other warrior women fight the battle for a few weeks or a month while I take a little break, you know? Right. It really takes a village. And that just doesn't mean about like myself living my life, but the village is, you know, the network of other women who are fighting the good fight and who are, you know, working alongside me, who are doing all this other research and also speaking about it in other parts of the country. And so it's important to me, there's always this voice, but it's so important to have the support in this village and people to go to. You know, I say that I am, I call myself sometimes in circles, I'm a conscious disruptor. So, you know, I'm at the table. Thankfully, I get to have a seat at the table, but I also am that voice that speaks out, which not everyone always likes coming from a woman. Yeah. And so it's nice to have the support from friends who understand and women who go through it and who are also fighting. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's nice when you meet people, uh, other women who just get it. Like you don't even have to explain kind of the difficulties of being that voice. Um, and I've actually had men who are my work colleagues and, and, you know, some men who really look out for me and they've actually, you know, I probably had four or five different men tell me like, I don't know if you should talk about that because they actually like, they know the, they know the difficulty that I'll face. And they're like, you know, maybe you should just kind of back off this for a little bit. Like they're, they're so worried about me that they're trying to be protective, which is funny because it's not like I'm, I'm like talking about something that's not factual based or data, like even talking about a pay gap. I remember once I posted something about the pay gap and um, immediately, like three of my good male colleagues who, who I consider good friends were like, you know, I don't know if you should write that. And I was like, but it's just a factoid about the pay gap. And they're like, I know, but it's going to be inflammatory. And I was like, but it's not my data. Like it's uh, someone else published it. I'm just stating it, you know? So I think it's, it's interesting how there's just, it's like, nobody really wants to talk about gender equity. It's kind of like, you know, race, everybody's kind of like, oh gosh, oh no, where's this going? But it's so important that we have educated discourse about it and discussion about it so we can grow and we can learn and we can change the status quo. So I just thank you for doing that. But now I want to change gears a little bit because something that our listeners may not know about you, which is amazing is that you are like this phenomenal athlete and you, there are pictures of you on Twitter running all over the world and you run competitively with other physician women and you have like, you know, you've won like significant, um, races. And I just want to talk to you about like that. How does that fit into you as a physician and you as a mother and you as a leader? It fits into a lot of really early mornings. 
I know. Like, when do you do, when do you train for these things? Like, it's just it's just amazing to me all that you do. So it's really in the early mornings. It's like, okay, well, not that many people are awake at that time in the house. I'm not really taken away from my kids' time. And then it's something that I feel like, okay, if I do it first thing, it's done. Like, check, it's done. I don't have to worry about like when's my day going to end and am I going to be able to work out at the end of the day? You know, I took care of it. Four forty-five, whatever it is in the morning that I need to get. That's when I'm already running. So, you know, you I'm are waking amazing. up before that so I can start doing my workout. And then it's, like I said, it's a village. So that means that, you know, my husband helps. That means my, one of my secrets is my in-laws live in my garage apartment and my mother-in-law is the most amazing help ever. So I don't have to be there right when my son wakes up to start getting him ready for school because she's there at the house at that time and is helping, you know, make sure that he's eating breakfast and brushing his teeth and doing his thing in the morning. So I can kind of, you know, get in when I'm done and then, okay, then, you know, attend to getting ready for work and maybe walking him to, just in time to walk him to school. That's what I usually try to like finish my workout in time just to like take him to school, but I don't have to be the one that's you know, making sure he eats and putting on his deodorant and all that stuff that comes with like kids when they get to that age, you know? Yeah. And, um, so again, I'm, I, you know, I have to put in the mileage in the mornings. And the other thing is my husband and I, when my kids were younger, we both couldn't leave the house at the same time. So we had to learn at the beginning to, and he likes to work out. So we had to take turns on mornings. And so that took some, you know, discussion and teamwork from the two of us. Right. And so I'm lucky that I got the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and so he did like Tuesday, Thursday, and later on Saturday and <laughs> Sundays are kind of church rest day. And, uh, now that the kids are getting older, we, I could probably have more days to not have to work out from home. But, uh, so do you, have you, have you always been a runner? Like this has always been something you've done competitively. So I was a runner and started running in middle school and ran through high school, kind of got burnt out at, at the end of high school. And because we were like a state level cross country team. And by then it was like, all right, I'm, ready, you know, for something else. I went to college and didn't run competitively, just kind of ran on the side and then picked it up again a lot in medical school. It was kind of to try to do something to de-stress because medical school was, you know, one of the most intense periods of our lives with lots and lots of studying and lots of new things learning. Again, that was, I didn't major in a science in undergrad. So then medical school was, of course you take all the classes you needed to take, but I wasn't quite as sciencey when it came to doing the basic medical stool stuff. So I had to like study extra hard and had a lot of built up stress. So that's where running really came back in medical school to help me or any other kind of exercise. So sometimes it was like stair climber with the anatomy book in front open to me. (laughs) So I could be studying at the same time, like on the stair climber and reading a book or reading the first aid when you're studying for the step. Sometimes going out for a run, I would put some like make little 
note cards to study and put them on the inner part of my forearm so I could kind of like look at something in my forearm and kind of run and think about it. And so you do all kinds of things in medical school to try to, you know, combine exercise and yeah. And studying because it's all it's so much studying. Yeah, there there is like people like you that run these crazy long distances and just like it's nothing. Like you're like, I'm just gonna go run seven or eight miles. Like it's just funny to me. It's like people that jump out of airplanes. Like there's never been a moment in my brain where there's been two neurons that have synapsed and said to my <laughs> and come up with this thought, you should go run. Like like, I just, I am not a runner. And my husband is like, he's, you know, he's a physical therapist and he's always trying to help me with my fitness. And he, for years, tried to make me into a runner. Like, you have bad running form. Let's work on your running form. Let's work on this. Let's work on that. And he has just like given up. He's like, I'm like, I feel like I'm not going fast. And he's like, you're not going fast. <laughs> like, it's real. You are not going fast. I'm like, but I feel like I, I'm running in place. He's like, you are running in place. <laughs> so I admire people like you because you are just, I mean, obviously you work at it. It's not something you just don't work at and you're good at. You put a ton of, um, of discipline and of time and effort into it, but there it's just, I think there are runners. And I mean, my best friend in medical school, Stephanie Randall, she's an amazing runner and she still like loves to run. And she would be so sweet. We, she'd be like, let's, you want to run with me today? And I would say, yeah, let's go run. And we would run like two or three miles. And then she would be like, okay, I'll see you later. And then she would actually go run. <laughs> she would like <laughs> run five miles after what I considered like my run was actually her warm up. So we laugh about it still. We, I still joke about it. I'm like, Steph, you were truly my best friend because you never made me feel bad that you ran like two or three miles with me. And then you actually went and did your workout after you dropped me off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay. Not everyone has to be a runner, you know, as long as you find something that's, you know, I think exercise is important. I like the hashtag exercise is medicine. It doesn't have to be, it isn't running as medicine, but you know, you just find something that you enjoy doing and that you're willing to do. And right. so some people that's Zumba, some people that's weightlifting, some people it's the Peloton. Just for me, it happens to be running, but I yeah. do like cross training things too. Yeah. And yeah. And then running, I didn't get back into competition again until there was actually some moms that when my daughter was in, um, she was in, let me see, kinder. And some moms were like, let's go on a, you run, let's go on a run. And I started running with these moms because running is also a community. Like you said, you ran with your friend and, you know, you talk about things when you run. And that's one of the nice things about, I have a running group and I get to you know, work, you know, make friends with people at, and we talk about all sorts of things at 5 a.m. And <laughs> I know, isn't uh, it nice to have a community, an exercise community? I mean, that's one of the reasons I love CrossFit and I did that for years and years is because it's nice to have a community and you always, yeah. it passes the time and you always do more than, in my opinion, what you would do by yourself, you know, like I just, I always found myself like the hour just going really quickly and being like, wow, I just had a great workout and I got to connect with people that I probably wouldn't know otherwise, you know, and I'm like you, I'm a big morning exercise person. I, I just like, it, it's the only time in my day that I know I'm not going to be interrupted. Um, 
unless I'm on call and I, I love it. Like I love getting it out of the way and doing it first thing so that the rest of my day, I feel, I just feel a little more connected to myself. Um, and I feel more positive when I exercise first thing in the morning. The other thing I say, it's my ADHD med, like <laughs> be able to like focus yeah, and do work right. and be productive because it's like, oh, I've already exercised. I've had all these good, you know, endorphins through my body and <laughs> dopamine and stuff so I can focus and work. Yeah. Yeah. And I really think that it's about just moving your body, you know, and just... Mm-hmm just moving your body, just getting those endorphins and just whatever it is. I mean, everybody has different things that they like to do. And I, I think that it's so important as physicians, especially that we put health in our, our own health first, which is so hard to do. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to take care of our patients and let ourselves slip, you know, and I find myself constantly having to remind myself like, okay, I have to be a good example for my patients and my kids and, and put this first. And well, thank you for being on the show. And I wanted to ask you, like, I'm sure there's women listening that want to follow you. They want to see your amazing pictures where you're running, you know, in front of the Eiffel tower and they want to follow your amazing leadership advice and, and maybe hear you speak in one of their cities. So where can we find out? Where can we, how can we follow you? Give us some of your handles. All right. So on Twitter, I am at MV Gutierrez MD. So M-V-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z-M-D. And then my Instagram is Monica V Gutierrez. And so those are, Instagram has a, you know, running mixed with doctoring. Yeah. (laughs) And you get, you have some great feed and always educational. And you always encourage me, like every time I see pictures on Instagram or your Twitter feed, I want to like get out and go exercise or I want to take care of myself or I want to read something that's helpful. So you definitely want to follow Monica. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait till I can see you again and we can hang out again and, and have some girl time. And if you are listening today, I hope that you learned from her and her message. And as always live brave. This has been an HSG production. 